James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes, clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the Lord to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he, who set, for he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So we are walking through the book of James, and uh, I've been saying, you know, James is an action guy, right? He is, he is all about behavior. What do you, how do you actually live out your faith? But as we go, I'm realizing he's not just an action guy, that um, he also can really cut to the heart and like get at the, like the deep inner structures of how we think and how we feel about life that then informs our actions. And so he's not just an action guy, he's a heart guy. And I think today uh, is an example where that happens. And I'm, I'm really excited uh, actually to talk about this passage today. Uh, so the topic, James's topic, you'll see it in verse one, is the topic of favoritism. And that word, the original language in the Greek, the word literally means to receive the face, okay? So we're talking about how we receive the face of someone else. And it reminds me of a, a quote from T.S. Eliot. I'm, I don't know why I've been qu- quoting T.S. Eliot lately. I don't even know much about him. But um, you guys remember the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock that you had to read in high school? You never understood what that poem was about. This comes from that poem. But favoritism is to receive the face. I love this, this comment he makes. We, pre- we prepare a face to meet the faces that we meet. And what he's saying, he's like, our lives are like one big masquerade ball, right? You go to a masquerade and everyone puts up their face. And, you know, I present a face that I think is going to be favorable. And you present a face. We come to church, I present my face and you present a face. And it might not even be our actual selves that are talking. It's my face is talking to your face, right? This, this my projection of myself and your projection of yourself are talking. And favoritism is to receive the face, to judge according to the outward appearances of things like, in this passage, clothing, or outward success, or beauty, or fitness, or maybe the most perennial judgment of all, 
wealth, which is kind of the, the essence of this conversation today. And so uh, James presents a scenario here, right, in verses uh, two and four that obviously happened uh, in the early church. So you imagine it's a Sunday morning, they're gathering probably in a home, right? And um, a stranger comes walking by and hears singing or hears something and they're curious and they come into this gathering. Uh, they're probably a stranger. We don't, the, the church probably doesn't know much about them. Are they believers? Maybe believers, maybe not. Um, what's their character? They don't know. Um, what they can see is their clothes, the jewelry they're wearing, the kinds of clothes, and, and he's basically presenting a scenario where they make a snap judgment about the person based on the outward appearance and have a different response to that person, right, depending on the appearance. So, oh, you, you should sit at this seat here, or um, why don't you stand over there, <laughs> or sit at my feet. Um, I thought, that's kind of an over, that's a little black and white, like, that feels a little extreme, James. Um, but I think we are doing this all the time in very subtle and sophisticated ways, okay? And so let me contemporize this scenario for you, okay? So let's imagine this summer, uh, Grace is hosting some uh, Wednesday night times of worship and, and fellowship out on the uh, patio out there, okay? So you've been coming to this a couple nights. There's about 50 of, of us gathered. And one night, as you're out there, you see and a, and a car pulls up into the parking lot, okay? And it's pulling into a parking space. You don't know what this is. And um, we'll call it, let's say, they're in a brand new Tesla, okay? So you just see, okay, nice, nice car. I mean, Tesla's the new Prius, so, you know, but, you know nice car, <laughs> nice car. Looks good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a lot of enemies at the end of this, this, this sermon. Person backs into the parking space. Okay, power move. Like, you're thinking a superhero's gonna come out of the car. Uh, and uh, a couple in their early 50s comes out of the car, both looking sharp. They're, they're not, not ostentatious, but just sharply dressed. You're looking at the guy underneath his button-up uh, button shirt. You can see he's got guns that are about three times the size. I mean, he's, you know, he's fit, he looks good. Um, she's attractive, she's, she's sharply, you know, tastefully dressed, got some cool glasses on, and you just see them walk up together, and um, you feel something in your mind about them, which is described in verse 3. He says, you show special attention, or literally, you look favorably upon these people. You see the face... And it's favorable, and even it's an unconscious thing you do. You're not even thinking about it, but you conclude in a word, legit. Like this couple walking, this is, they're legit. Um, they are, um, they probably are people of significance. They probably have something to offer me. I'd be curious what they have to say about a number of things. There, there's a weight to them. There's a, a, a respect that I'm going to give them. And that feeling that you have plays out in how you act. They come over to your table and um, you're mindful of them. You're mindful of what you say a little bit more around them. Uh, you have a gut sense, again, that they probably have something to offer, and there's a, there's, a, there's a weight that they bring into that moment, and you're mindful of it, okay? Ever had something like that happen? Okay, five minutes later, another car pulls up, and this is real dangerous, what do I choose here? We'll go with a, uh, a 1999 Nissan Sentra, okay? Doesn't back into the parking space. Uh, you can see, you can see the, uh, the, the, there's a little peeling of the, of the um, paint on the back of the car. A uh, guy in his late 30s uh, gets out. He's, um, he's a little overweight. Um, his hair couldn't be less stylish. So he's not like unkempt, but it's just, he's, he's probably not from around here. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean. And um, 
he's dressed from, it's, this is like Ross dressed from last, for last from head to toe, right? Comes out, he walks over, and you feel something. You, you're all barely conscious of it. You feel something in your mind about this person. And the word in verse four is you have discriminated. You have, you have judged, you've quickly measured this person up as he's walking towards you, and you've found it, him to be, in, in your unconscious mind, less legit. He's not as legit. He's, he probably doesn't have as much to offer me. He's probably less interesting, less compelling. And that feeling shapes your actions. If you're at your worst, you may not pay as much attention. You might not engage him as much. If you're at your best, you'll think, I'll engage him, but um, I will do that in a way. I, here's a person to minister to, right? I wanna, I, I'm going to minister. I'm going to care for this person. I probably have something to offer this person. A little bit of what Brian was talking about on, on the video, right? Um, but to, to, I would just say, like, the, the two people re represent a different cognitive weight in your mind. And then that plays out in how you treat them. And I was thinking, have you ever been in a restaurant, restaurant like where there's, there's like a famous person in the restaurant, you've been to a party and there's a famous person there. Have you ever felt like they, there's a cognitive weight that they just carry in the back of your mind that even as you're talking to other people, even as you're not looking at them, you're kind of like aware this weighty person is in the room and I'm mindful of that and it's shaping how I am acting throughout this. That's kind of an extreme example. But these people just carry a different weight in your mind. It impacts how you relate to them. James's point in this passage, that is exactly the way the world works. That's how the world has been working fr from the very beginning. And his main point is that is not how it's supposed to work in the family of God. This is not how the family of God works. And so what he does in this passage is confronts that way of thinking and feeling. And more, more than just confronts, he gives us a new lens to see one another through, through the lens of the gospel. And so I wanna talk about this lens that James gives us. Now before I, I'm gonna go real quickly through this passage. Before I do that, um, I wanna take you to another place where Paul talks about this very same issue. Uh, and this really shaped my thinking years ago. Um, this is 2 Corinthians. Some of you will remember this. I taught this like 12 years ago. Some of you have been around that long, um, but you'll remember this illustration. Uh, powerful passage. Paul says this. So from now on, in light of what we've discovered in Jesus, we, no longer, uh, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And you see that little gobbledygook right after point of view? That's the original Greek. He says, we no longer view people kata sarka. And I want you to learn this one today. Say it, kata sarka. Okay, you don't want to say kaka sarta. That's potty, potty talk, but kata sarka. Kata means according to, and sarka is the flesh, sarks. Okay, according to the flesh. Paul says, we no longer view anyone Katasarka, according to the flesh, from a worldly point of view, from the external ways that we try to measure people up. We no longer view people through those glasses. So um, this is pretty amazing today. It's a special day for you. I actually brought my Katasarka glasses. These are magic glasses, okay? And this is what every human being does, okay? We put on these Katasarka glasses. And when I put on my Katasarka glasses, I view you through these external lenses. Where does this person live? Um, east side, oh, east side Costa Mesa, okay. West side, okay, west side Costa Mesa, right? <laughs> Newport, okay, Irvine, okay. 
Tustin, North Tustin, South Tustin, okay, okay, just figuring that out, okay. I'm just, I'm just kind of taking you in through this, this lens. What neighborhood do you live in, okay? Um, what are you driving? Or do you say Tesla, Beamer, Rivian, Civic, Accord, right? Camry, what are you, what are you driving these days? <laughs> what are you wearing? Lululemon, Fiori, mm. Knockoffs from Target. Okay, okay. Just, I'm just taking it in. Where do you work? What are you doing? You're commercial real estate? You're in education? You're in medicine? Finance? CFO, CEO? Ooh, okay, okay. Uh, I look at it through fitness and beauty. Which, what's your BMI? I can kind of measure that up pretty well. What kind of weight are you pushing up in the gym? Okay. I look at the phones you use, and there are only two kinds of phones in the world. <laughs> and I don't have the right phone. <laughs> Kata Sarka, and it's all about social capital. Who carries weight in my mind? Who am I interested in being around? Who would I want to be seen on an Instagram post with? Who do I want to be friends with? Who do I want to invite on my elder board, okay? I'm seeing the lens of Kata Sarka. And in the first century, uh, they lived, this is a culture of honor and shame. Okay? And they, they live by this, in the Roman Empire, the, the principle of reciprocity and obligation. So like, um, if I do a favor for you, you're actually obligated to do a favor for me. If I show hospitality to you, you show hospitality to me. So that's why when I have people over for a dinner party, I want to invite those people who are just a little bit above me on the social strata so that then I can be invited to their party. And I'm always looking at that, that person just a little bit higher than me that can kind of, through obligation, get me into those circles. That's first century. Um, Jewish culture, actually Roman culture. Um, now, today, this may play out differently for you when it comes to things like what I've just mentioned. Some of us in this room, if we're honest, we are drawn to wealthy, successful people who katasarka are high in those categories. We would like to pursue those kinds of people. Um, some of us are intimidated by people who are higher up on the katasarka scale, and we tend to avoid them. Um, some of us are probably judgmental towards people who are above us on the Katasarka scale and that we're just kind of projecting our own insecurity onto them, like, I'm just gonna stay away, right? So we, we all respond differently to this, but either way, we're still wearing these lenses and judging people according to those standards. And Paul's point, as James' point, is this. We no longer do this in the family of God. And what he had just been talking about before this is the cross of Christ. And, and Paul says, something happens when we encounter the cross of Christ. And here's what happens. We just don't reckon riches and honor and status the same way we used to. Because in this moment, Christ's glory is displayed. In Katasarka, it is a moment of shame and poverty and humiliation and not success, failure. I mean, this is a failed Messiah, a guy who gets himself killed. How much more of a failure, Katasarka, could you be? And then the Spirit opened our eyes to this event. Paul says, we used to regard Christ, Katasarka. But then the Spirit opened our eyes and we don't anymore. Now we see this moment that looks shameful and poor and everything you don't want to be in life is actually the moment of Christ's glory. And the moment where his riches are poured out on his people, of forgiveness and acceptance by God and eternal life and being adopted into God's family. The moment of shame and poverty and dishonor is actually his great, great victory over Satan. And so when we see that, 
we realize um, we don't look at things the same way. Here's, here's how uh, Paul says it later in, the, in 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The richest being in the universe gave up his riches to take really poor spiritual beings like us and make us rich. We can no longer look at these things in the same way. And that's what Paul's saying. So from now on, we don't look at one another through the lens of this katasar. We have taken off these katasarka glasses. He goes on in Colossians to put it this way. Here in God's family, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. We could add rich, poor, male, female, but Christ is all and is in all. These categories, Paul's saying, of course they still exist. They just don't matter anymore. Why? Because Christ is all. Christ is what's important here. I don't care much how much money I make. I don't care what great clothes I have. I don't care what car I drive. Christ is all that matters in this, in this family. And Christ is in all. When I see you now, I don't see, you know, you name the place. Newport, driving this car, boom, boom. No, I see Christ in you. I see a sinner saved by the grace of Christ, destined for eternal life, a brother or sister with me and my family. Christ is all, and Christ is in all. And that radically is supposed to change the way we look at each other. There's something much deeper than all those categories that unites us. And that's what is to shape our relationships and our interactions with one another. Amen? Amen. Okay. So I've already given my sermon. And I'm just going to show you how James gives my sermon, okay? And I'll be quick as we walk through James. So I want you to see the lens, see this, I'll just rapid fire. James gives us like five lenses for viewing one another that's supposed to confront that katasarka way of, of experiencing one another. So look at verse one. First lens, my brothers and sisters, here it is, believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Why in talking about favoritism does he specifically describe Jesus as the Lord of glory, of, of uh, fame and honor? He's trying to say to them, hey, when you're showing favoritism, you are focusing on the wrong kinds of riches. You're focusing on the wrong kind of status. You need to be looking at the status and glory of the Lord and all these other things just kind of fall away but you're focusing on the wrong lenses. You're giving weight to worldly wealth and status when that doesn't matter in light of the glory of who our Lord Jesus is. So start focusing on the right, on the right kinds of wealth and riches and status. That's the first lens. Second lens, uh, we'll jump down to verse five. He invites us to think, how does God think about these katas sarka categories of rich and poor? Look at verse five. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? He's saying when you favor people higher up on the Katasarka spectrum, the, the wealthy, you're not looking at people the way God looks at people. Guess who God has chosen in this world primarily, not exclusively, but primarily to be rich in faith? Who has he chosen in the, in the passage? He's chosen the poor. And that was just a historical fact in the first century, that the gospel spread primarily among the poor. Not exclusively, rich people became Christians too, but, but the vast majority of the spread of the gospel was through the, those of lower means. 
And that is not incidental. <laughs> that is intentional to God's purposes. James doesn't say it just sort of happened to be this way. James says God has chosen it to be this way. He loves to take people who are just kind of, the world would say, would write off as not legit and choose those people and get, I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna give you such great faith and I'm gonna make you an heir of my kingdom. He intentionally has done it this way. Now, even as I say that, it almost sounds like, what? Well, that feels like God's showing favoritism, like God's, God's showing reverse favoritism, right? And that is not true either. God shows no favoritism. <laughs> That's who he is. I was thinking about, um, oh, sorry, I want, oh yeah, this is, sorry, let me say this. Um, <laughs> Paul's words to the Corinthians. This is really funny. Um, the Corinthians were all enamored with like, um, who's cooler, who's got the coolest uh, apostle and all this stuff, like who, who, all the spiritual gifts, like we want to show ourselves up. And, and Paul reminds them of their humble beginnings. He goes, hey, brothers and sisters, <laughs> I love this passage, uh, think of what you were when you were called. Uh, you know, the gospel came into Corinth, and guess who became believers? Not many of you were wise by human standards. Uh, not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. He's like, hey, guys, you weren't exactly the cream of the crop in Corinth. Like... <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, that's not who you were. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things so that no one may boast before him. God is subverting the world's way of thinking by choosing people of lower means to be rich in faith to, to experience the gospel. And what I was saying then, that feels like God actually favors the poor over the rich. I do not believe that's true. It's clear in scripture, God has no favoritism. First Samuel, right? Man looks at the outward appearance, the face. God doesn't look at any of that. Rich, poor, male, he, does, he doesn't look at that. He looks at the heart. Or even more relevant, for the Lord your God is the great God who shows no favoritism and takes no brides. God, God is absolutely, has no favoritism. But if you're the God of the universe and you want to show the world that you have no favoritism and the world favors the wealthy and the influential and all that, what do you do? Well, you make a point. You say, huh, which people should I choose? Here, I'll, I'll choose this group of uh, Jewish slaves, this ethnic minority in the most powerful empire of, of, of the time, of, of the uh, Egyptian empire. The, I'm gonna Those will be my people. And when the gospel comes, you choose people who are of lower means to show the world, I have no favoritism. And so James's point here is, is think the way God does. <laughs> God doesn't think according to these things. And I, and I think God actually still works in this way. I mean, I'll just, this is my own experience. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes Christians of lower means, you can tell me if this is right, are often blessed with great faith and, and, and um, great dependence on God that wealthier people struggle to experience. That's been my own personal experience. Not always, um, but certainly as a, as a sort of rule of thumb. So James is saying, think the way God thinks about this. Third lens. Uh, look at verse six. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Again, this is a historical fact in, with James's readers. The re reality was there were wealthy landowners who were taking advantage of some of the, the poor people, and they were dragging them to court, and they knew they'd win in court because <laughs> they had money, they had status, and that's what, win, that, what's what won in court. Often that still is what wins in court. And so James is saying, why are you paying such attention and giving such honor to people who are hurting you? <laughs> why, why would you do that? They're, they're actually the ones, you want to honor them, but they're dishonoring God's name and the way they're acting towards you. Now, this is not all the rich, but this is what was happening in that day. 
um, they're actually bringing shame on God's name. Why are you honoring those people? You, you should have a different lens. All right, fourth lens. Are you still with me? Yeah, I'm just kind of moving, we're just, we're just moving fast through this. Fourth lens. Let me reread um, verses 6 to 11, try to figure out what does this have to do with favoritism. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker, as lawbreakers. Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Okay, what is going on there? So, um, what he's, he, he's going out, he's, he's taking favoritism and running it through the lens of what he calls the royal law, the law of our King Jesus. And the royal law is summed up in the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, okay? And he's saying, to, to show favoritism is to not love your neighbor as yourself. You're breaking the most important command of all, love your neighbor as yourself. So think about this. Would you want someone else to look at you and make a snap judgment about your appearance and measure you up and find you wanting based off of some external, just a snap judgment? Would you, would you want that? <laughs> and I'll bet every one of us has some experience of going to a party or going into a room where you don't really fit in and you realize really quickly, no one here cares at all about who I am and what I have to say. Have you ever had that experience? You walk like, it's very clear. No one here cares at all about who I am or what I have to say. James is like, That's a, that is not a fun experience, is it? Um, well, you wouldn't want that. So why are you making these snap judgments on others? That is a failure to love your neighbor as yourself. And then to the part of us that would say, yeah, but favoritism, that's not that bad of a sin, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's a, everybody does it. That's not like murder or adultery or, right? I mean, it's, come on, like we all do this. And, and um, James is saying, well, Actually, that's like breaking the most important command of all. And if you break one of the commandments, you, it's like you've broken all of the commandments. So it doesn't really matter that, how you feel about that. Like that's, that's a really significant thing. You're breaking the most basic commandment of all when you show favoritism in that way. And then the final lens, um, verse, uh, verse 12, if that's the metric you're using on others, those kinds of judgments, careful, watch out. Speak and act as those who are, this is verse 12, going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy, I don't like this verse at all, will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, right? If that's the lens you're bringing to others, careful or God can bring that lens to you. And he is just echoing the words of his older brother Jesus there, right? From the Sermon on the Mount. There's a couple places Jesus says this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, right? For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, he means by God, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You don't wanna put yourself in that place of judge, which then is gonna put yourself in a place of judgment. So all these lenses, he's saying, take off the katasarka glasses. Love and honor and regard one another uh, without regard for the face, for the outward appearance. Amen? Okay, so one final thought. Um, how does this actually happen at Grace? 
What does this actually look like? And um, Drew and Mark and I were having a good conversation. Drew said some things that were really helpful to me. In my experience, you know, 20 years in this church, I don't think, I think we're, we're I think you guys are pretty great people. Let me just say that. Um, I don't think like explicit judgment is what drives this kind of thing. I actually think comfort is what drives this kind of thing. And what I mean is we tend to just surround ourselves with people that are like us that we feel comfortable around, that don't require us to, to stretch out of who we kind of naturally are, right? The phrase, birds of a feather, feather flock together, right? That we just, we want to be comfortable, and so we gravitate towards people who are in our comfort zone. And usually those are people who are our same age, our same life stage, and probably especially our same general socioeconomic level. Of course, we have neighbors around us who are by definition close to our same socioeconomic level. But I think comfort drives that. It, it's, it's easy to be with people who are in the same Katasarka categories as you are. It doesn't require much of you. And so I, I would ask you, like, here's a simple question. How many close friends do you have who are in a very different socioeconomic level from you? Like, how many, like, close friends do you have who are in a pretty different socioeconomic category from you. Think about it for a second. I would guess some of us in this room say this many friends that fit outside of that category, right? Comfort, it's not judgment, it's comfort, it's ease, it's familiarity that drives it. And I was thinking of a, of a case in point, I was thinking who do, who do me, my family, who do we invite over for dinner? What, like, what people do we choose? This is where it kind of the rubber meets the road. Like, who would we, who do we invite over for dinner? And I realized we tend to invite people who are in our same kind of socioeconomic level, or we might invite some people who are lower than us. We tend to not invite people over who are ever in a significantly higher socioeconomic level than us, especially if we've been to their homes before. <laughs> right? Because I'm fine with my home. Um, but then I've seen your home, and you come to my home, and now I'm seeing my home through your eyes. And I'm actually not seeing my home through your eyes. Chances are, you're fine with my home too. But I'm seeing my home through my perception of your perception of my home. And I'm feeling insecure, right? I don't like how I'm feeling. You're, you're actually probably, you're great. <laughs> I'm feeling insecure. And so that's who gets to my house, and that's who doesn't get to my house. And this is an interesting thing. Like I've, uh, like, I've had secondhand conversations and heard of conversations of people like, who have a lot of wealth, have really nice homes, and oftentimes, um, the sad reality, they say, no one invites us over. We don't get invited over. I mean, I, I remember this, uh, this is a very, there's a couple not in this area, had a really, really wealthy home. They ended up selling it because they, they dialed in this beautiful place. They never, didn't get you know, invited over because how do you compete with that? Just comfort, right? And so comfort and familiarity drives it. And then we just kind of get in our groups. And then we actually maybe do start making kind of snap judgments towards the, those people who are in the other groups, right? Not as legit, not as substantial. Um, and that judgment goes both ways. I mean, I, honestly, in 20 years, I've heard more judgment coming from lower means people towards upper means people than I have going the other way. I mean, it, 
It's not cool to judge, you know, like it's easier judging up than judging down. It's just a safer, easier thing. So, I, so that's what I've actually experienced. Um, so it goes both ways. But that's not what the people of God are called into. God is calling us into uh, a different kind of community. And it's kind of, it might sound ideal, but it's where these categories literally don't matter. We could not care less about them in light of the cross. But what that will mean is the thing we most need to push through is probably not judgment. We need to push through discomfort. We need to push through the familiar and just keeping things easy. And so for those of you who identify maybe in this community on the lower end of those katasarka categories, it means that's gonna take courage for you. It means uh, you're gonna have to pass, push past your insecurity, um, maybe the intimidation you feel from people who are higher up, and it means you're gonna have to have an imagination for them, which is not that hard if you really think about it, which is say, behind the external face, this person feels all the exact same things that I feel about life. The insecurity, the hopes, the dreams, it's all the same behind the external face. But you need to see Christ in them. For those of us in this room who are on the upper end of that, um, I think it means we need to practice a greater sense of awareness and sensitivity for the dynamics that are inherent in that kind of relationship. And here's, I will just say what I've learned. When you are in a, a, a di- there's a power dynamic and you're in the place of power and you're in a relationship, you don't feel powerful, okay? If you walk into a room and it's clear you're kind of more dialed in than everybody else, you don't walk and feel like, oh great, I'm gonna exert my power. You just feel comfortable. You just feel safe, you just feel yourself. That's what it feels like to, to, have, to be kind of in the power place. You just, you don't feel powerful, you just feel safe. And so it requires an awareness like what feels just comfortable and safe to me might feel powerless and vulnerable and unsafe to this person. And so I need to be aware of that. And I need to engage in the ways that help however I can with that dynamic. So your homework, you ready for your homework? Rich people, call up a poor person this week. Say, I don't have any poor friends. Can we have lunch together? Poor people, call your rich, hey, I would love to have a rich friend. Can we have lunch this week? Just kidding, sort of. <laughs> a community where these things literally don't matter. We probably will never fully achieve it this side of eternity, but that's what we want. Friendships, real friendships taking place across katasarka categories. A community, to end this passage, where mercy triumphs over judgment, where those snap judgments have been removed and we're just a community of mercy. Hey, You and I, in the end, we're both sinners at the foot of the cross who have received the mercy and grace of our Lord. We've been brought into fellowship in one family, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the vision that James gives us. That's the vision we get to live into together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross uh, and thank you for the resurrection that levels the playing field of all human categories and puts us all on the exact same place as sinners saved by your grace, uh, children of your sweet mercy. Lord, where there are 
lenses on our ways of seeing each other that are powerful that we're still buying into, would you just remove those lenses? Like, would, as an act of your spirit, would you just powerfully remove those lenses? Whether there's pride, whether there's insecurity, whether there's judgment, whether there's favoritism, would you just remove those lenses, Lord, that we might see one another in Christ and see Christ in each other. And that might shape our friendships, our conversations, our connections, even today, even, even in this room, even as we engage one another after the service and then beyond, Lord. May your gospel bear fruit in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.